Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncommon Paradigm podcast. Today, I have Barrett Lewis here. Barrett, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Good, it's my pleasure. So I'd just like you to introduce yourself a little bit and how you came to discover this book and uh, write this journey. <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, it's 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 a it's a long story, but I'll try to make it a little bit short. Um, I came to mindfulness from a background in communication originally, and uh, and then um, I'm Danish originally, and I uh, lived in Denmark with two young children, and uh, my husband, who is Welsh, was offered a job in the Netherlands, uh, and this is uh, 14 years ago. And uh, I gave up my career then um, and followed him. And in the beginning, it was all great because I had time to myself and my children. Uh, but it didn't take long before I sort of had a little bit of a, a crisis, almost, you could say, because I was thinking, who am I if I'm not my job? I, w- I realized how connected I was to my job title. Um, and and then I started to study psychology. I thought, okay. So I got this extra time for myself. Um, I might as well go back to university. And uh, so I went back and did a psychology degree. And um, on the side from that, I was also interested in yoga and mindfulness, but I didn't really know what it was. Uh, And so I thought, okay, if I really got to find out how this is, because I thought it was like this switch at the back of your head, you could just switch off and everything would just be peace and calm in there. Uh, but of course, that's not how we work as human beings. So I couldn't get it. So I, I went on a five day retreat, and, um, and all these things uh, during that retreat, I realized that all these things that I had been taught from a from my intellect, uh, from the psychology degree about, you know, you easy to say, you're not your thoughts, um, I saw it. I, I could feel it. I, I had this embodied experience of, of distancing myself from my thoughts and emotions, and I could observe them instead of being in them. And, and it helped me to, uh, to get a distance from them, which meant that I could control them. I can, of course, I cannot control my thoughts and I cannot control what emotions I have, but I can control how I respond to them most things that's written about aging is about avoiding it it's about staying young and uh, and we have this narrative that says that once once you hit 50 it's all downhill uh but in reality that's not true it's actually if you ask people uh when they are the most happy it's actually when they're 80 uh and and this decline is not the only thing that's happening to us there's some other things that we compensate with um, so I wanted to change that narrative, and I thought mindfulness would be a way to 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 cope with these challenges and not just see them as something negative you want to avoid. But because when I teach mindfulness to people who suffer from burnout or is stress, the thing I teach them is not to avoid the stress, but more to to face it and accept it, and then respond to it in a different way. And I thought it would be the same with aging. You could you could face it and accept it and and meet it with compassion and and this openness and willingness to adapt. And that way you would stop yourself from having this extra suffering that you put on top of it when you want to avoid things. Uh, and so that's what I did. And that's what I also saw in my research, that these women uh, got this mental flexibility where they were able to see... Uh, 
yes, maybe I can't do the things I used to be able to do, but I can still do these things and I can still enjoy the here and now, the sun on my face and all these these little things that, because um, I know you already talked to Mike Williams earlier on and he described it well that being in the present moment when you are trying to get rid of all the, the, the negative or the unpleasant things, you're also not seeing the, the nice things in life and you're living life that's not such a, a rich life as you could do so yes yeah, so that's how I got into it and then and then of course as a, a result of this uh, whole uh, research and this study then I ended up writing the book Aging Upwards and, and that's released in April this year yeah and it's a great read I must say just to delve back a little bit into your past at what age did you change careers uh I was I was in my early mid 40s mid 40s yeah oh okay so that's um i would say relatively late for someone like myself 26 i feel like my life is already set in stone so what was the um apart from moving uh, what was the ambitions for going into that and what were some of the trials that you faced like you said you had attached your self-worth with a label of your career and now that was changing well, it, 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 I was kind of forced to because coming from a communication background uh, in the Danish, with Danish being my main language and living here in the Netherlands, there are not many jobs <laughs> in neither Danish yeah. nor English for that matter here. Uh, so I, I was forced to do it. But um, having said that, I... I have always wanted to study psychology, and I think that I, I, I guess I'm really appreciative that I got the chance to to go back to university. Uh, and and again, when when I was 48, I'm so happy that I got this chance to continue my education yeah. because what I'm seeing now is uh, communication psychology and then aging is I'm using them all all the time. I'm um, now that I. I can really see how they all connect together and every day I'm using it all. Yeah. <laughs> so if we can delve into the book then, some of the major parts of the book that I found were the Embrace Framework. Can you explain to us what the Embrace Framework is? Yeah. So there's really there's really two uh, elements to this model. Embrace starts with an E and ends with an E. And, and those two at the beginning and the end is what I call the, the mindfulness loop. It's the awareness and the ability to uh, concentrate and sustain your attention, choosing where you want to focus your attention and then sustaining it. Because um, for me, mindfulness, if you were to say that, if you Google it, it's got a million translations or definitions. But for me, it's, uh, it's awareness. And in order to gain that awareness, you have to uh, be able to concentrate and you have to pay attention. Uh, and we are not very good at this. But actually, at, at the moment, we are, we are training ourselves to not pay attention. And we are constantly letting ourselves be disturbed by our social media and the phone and everything always. And we are telling our brain that everything is important. And that means it's not very easy for us to sit down. So when we sit down and try and meditate and just focus on our breath or our feet on the floor, or whatever, our mind will constantly come up with things saying, I should go and finish that report. I should go and pick up the kids. I should so and so and so. And it's hard for us to sustain our attention, but it's a skill. And it's something that we can become better at. So the E 
is really this ability to practice and become better at sustaining our attention and, and choosing where to focus it. And when we do that, then we also become more aware. And it's the same thing that happens to us when we when we meditate is that if we're just allowing our brain to go back to the breath or some other physical uh, sensation and it goes off again and back and off again, we get better at it. We catch it quicker and we're able to stay here for longer, the more we practice. And so the E is, is consists of, of um, notice it, note it, and know it. And notice is, is to become aware where there's a thought, there's an emotion, there's a physical sensation in me. And then the noted is where I label it. So I say, ah, oh, there's that thought again that says I'm not good enough, for instance. Or there's that crunchiness, not very pleasant feeling in my stomach, that emotion of anxiety. Ah, that's how it feels like. So the more I do that, automatically I start to know it better. So I get to know myself better by simply paying attention. The, uh, the First, the notice it, then note it, and then the know it. So the notice it is to... Uh, pay attention to what's happening. So that could be, ah, there's a thought. And then I will label that thought. And that could be something like, ah, there's problem solving, the, um, there's worrying, the, the life daydreaming, whatever that thought might be. And then the more I'm doing that and also starting to become aware how that thought is in relations to my emotions and to my physical sensations in the body, uh, the more I start to know myself better. So... I'm able to see these habitual patterns of thoughts, habitual patterns of behavior. So maybe some of us tend to become aggressive if something goes wrong, or we tend to blame ourselves if something, if we make mistakes. So we start to, to notice and see the patterns. And once we have seen these patterns, we can, we can step back and say, okay, what is a good way of responding to this? Can I change the way that I do things around in a way that helps me be the person I want to be and live the life I want to live. And so once we have this attention and awareness, then we then I, then there comes the rest of the embracing. So the letters in between, which is the way to respond to these this awareness that we have gained. And so the first one is M for mindset. And that's basically, you know, being aware of do I have a mindset that says everything is going to go bad or everything is beyond my control or whatever it is that I'm, how I'm looking at the world, my perception of the world and being aware that this is something that I can change too. Like, then the right. BR is broadening out. And that's, that's my way of saying acceptance because acceptance is such a difficult thing to do. It's a difficult word and it's a difficult uh, ability we have because most people when they hear the word you just have to accept um, you think that it's something that you can you have to like or you have to give in or give up but that's not what acceptance in a mindful way is it's about um, broadening out so for instance I often give this uh, visual picture of imagine you have a little tiny cup of coffee you drop a spoon of salt in it and your coffee will be ruined. It will completely take over. But imagine if you have this bigger, like let's say this big soup bowl that you have in an industrial kitchen and you drop salt in there, 
So your, your soup will still be too salty, but you will still be able to also taste the other tastes that might be available. And it's the same thing I do uh, in order to accept. So right now, maybe I'm having trouble with my knee, for instance, because I have been hiking a lot. I could choose to let that painful feeling in my knee take over completely my life. And I would only focus on that. I would think, oh, why did I get that? How am I going to get rid of that? And all my attention goes to that. Or I could say, yes, so my knee is suffering right now, but what else is here right now? So there's still a nice summer feeling. I can feel the sun on my skin. I can walk but slower maybe, I can't run like I used to. So I can accept that there's other things that I can still do, or I can read a book. There are still so many other things instead of just focusing on the things that I can't do. And that's the broadening Ooh. out, the accept things. Yeah, I, one of the most powerful things I've ever heard and have now started to see in my life is everything has seasons. Summer is followed by autumn, followed by winter. Someday it will be summer. If you're having a good day, it might be followed by a bad day. And I can kind of see that same routine happening in aging. Although with how the media presents it, how we're being brought up, it's your youth is the best part and aging is no one likes doing it really. <laughs> but as you said in the start, everyone gets happier as they age. Yeah. So it's, it's um, in the book I'm writing about an alternative way of looking at, uh, at aging, because normally we see ourselves as this machine, you know, the things are starting to get a bit worn out, there's wear and tear. Uh, and what we tend to think of is that we all of a sudden can't do the things we used to do. So there's something wrong with us. We, we are a broken machine. But what I suggest is this other way of looking at it, uh, where you see it as a knife, for instance, that has been used to cut vegetables. And it's become a little bit worn and it doesn't quite do what it used to and what it was made for. But if you're creative, you can still see lots of other things that it can be used for. It depends on the context. And that's the same thing. You have to, when you're in a new situation in life, whether this is about aging or if you're changing career or something happens and you can't do the things you used to, you're not broken. You're just in a new context. You're in a new situation. Yeah. And as I read it, attentional control was within the M part of the book, the mindfulness part. Yeah, uh, I was just actually, I should, I should just finish with the last two in Embrace because I did because <laughs> the, the, the A after broadening out the acceptance is for affection. And that's the compassion bit because we're so used to, to treating ourselves really badly. So if my knee is not working in my old, life before I learned about mindfulness, I would blame myself for that. And I would constantly hit myself over the head for not being able to do the things I used to be able to do. But now I can see it more compassionately and say, it's all right. It's part of life. We're all going through suffering. It's human beings. We, that, that's just the conditions of life. And then the last thing is commitment to adapt. And that's because also what I've already uh, talked about is that thing, instead of getting caught up in the things you can't do anymore, Think about the things you you still have and what you can do instead. Once you realize that 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 that's my that's my power. Yeah. So I can so easily focus on one thing, but I can choose and say, yes, that's there. This thing that I don't really want that makes me feel uncomfortable. 
or even painful, but there's all the other things. And I can, I can sort of allow it. That doesn't mean that I'm ignoring the things that are difficult, but I'm allowing it to be there as well as all the other things. And with that, does that come with experience? Because I find in certain ways it could be personality. Some people might have more of this gift where they seem to differentiate between something that requires their energy now or something that they can put on the shelf for later. But I've also seen people that haven't got much life experience might not be able to do that well. So then I guess mindfulness would be a good way for them to practice that. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's age related, but I think you're right. It is it's person, personality. Some of us are just born naturally more, well, it's a thing, you know, the, do you see the glass half full or half empty? Uh, so, so some of us are naturally inclined to see things in a certain way and be able to put it on the shelf. It's definitely something you can practice and become better at. And one of the biggest things that you should be able to practice is thinking forward. So someone like myself who is young and I have many other young friends, we're rarely thinking about the future. So we're being taught through social media what it's like to be old. And we see either superstars with the silver fox hair and the lots of money, successful career. We don't ever see the the, the everyday side of getting old, the backache, the, the knee ache, the slower mental capacity. Somewhere in the book you wrote about, now I'm going to test my memory here, um, you wrote about as you age, different types of intelligence come into play. So as you're aging, you're losing one type of intelligence, which is the problem solving, the, the rapid yeah. um, problem solving, That's right. <laughs> better word. And then as you're aging, you're starting to draw more upon your experience. What was the, do, do you remember the words that you used to categorize those two different things? So right on the edge of my tongue. Uh, crystallized intelligence is when is when you are um, and, the, and the problem solving yeah so it, it's when you see patterns more easily because you got more experience so you were able to see and and, and use that knowledge that you had already mm. and can you summarize each yeah so if you have a, if you have a, a, a you have to solve some kind of problem as a as a young person you would tend to go in and and use your cognitive abilities so you would use your your imagination if i do this then that's what happen if i do that and so you you would cognitively reason yourself to a solution um whereas an older person is a little bit uh, not as fast in in getting the cognitive side of things uh, but are able to see patterns and so can solve a problem in a different way if i remember from reading the book, one of the gists that I got was even though you have the embrace framework, within that you have the micro framework of notice it, note it, and know it. So I'm guessing that last one, the, the NNK, you could use in every specific area of your life. Yes, that, that's the whole idea. That's to constantly go through these loops in, in your everyday life and notice, okay, how am I responding to this? How, oh, there's that thought again. And then because you have this awareness, then you can say, right, this is my pattern. Now, how can I approach this with acceptance and compassion? If someone is or is going through what you went through in change of careers and they managed to put all of their value in their specific job, do you have any sort of, maybe not tips, but any advice that someone has either lost a job or has transitioned? I would definitely work on... on, on um because I have a mindfulness practice, but if, if you're new to that, it would give you an insight into 
how you personally are, what your mindset is, because most of us don't know what our mindset is. But if you go in and you you start to become aware of, of the things you say to yourself. So, for instance, if you lost a job, if you were made redundant, or if you become, if you start to, to practice mindfulness and you notice and note, you will start to see patterns like saying, I'm not good enough, or it could be things like, the world is out to get me, it's his fault or it's her fault, that kind of patterns in the mind. They are very important to know because if you don't know how you're reacting, how can you change it? So it first, the first step is to become aware of how you are reacting, how you are responding to this difficult situation. And then a huge doses of self-compassion because when you're going through difficulties and when you are exploring these, these thought patterns that we have in our head, you really need to be able to hold them with kindness because otherwise you, you, you're not going to be brave enough to do that because nobody wants to face how we are not good enough. And again, just like attentional control, compassion is a skill. It's, a, it's something that we can practice and become better at. And the more we do that, the more we are able to Instead of hitting ourselves over the head every time we make a mistake or something happens to us through other people's will, if we're able to see that as an opportunity for growth and saying, okay, this happened, this is life, life is impermanent and life is not all good. Suffering is part of life. That's just what it is. And the minute you can start to see that, you can also see that impermanence is actually not necessarily a bad thing. So you might lose the things you love. You might even lose the people you love. But that also means that there are opportunities out there because life is constantly changing. It might feel like it's a really, like life is not worth living and it's really bad. And, but you know, if you have sat down and you have watched nature constantly changing and you have watched yourself, your own mood, you will know that things will change. Eventually, it will change. Apart from, uh, we said before, this. There could be personality that they draw on that conclusion earlier than others. It could be through mindfulness. Um, that's one way I've started to find it is through mindfulness and seeing other people's lives as closely as my own through their own subjective realities and really imagining what I would do in that situation. There's a lot online at the moment with how would you react if uh, you were on your deathbed and you look back on your life? What sort of feelings would you get from it? Would you be? Would you want to go back to the moment that you were arguing with your spouse about who done the dishes or who didn't? It wouldn't be one of the first things you think about. The other more metaphysical moments would be the ones. How can someone with the personality that is not inclined to draw on these conclusions get into mindfulness? It's through training. It's it's it is the first step is to realize that you can change these things. The way that we are as people and the way we're responding. Our minds, our brains are extremely plastic. We can, we can rewire things. I often, I used to teach uh, teenagers and I, I told them that anything they do, any thought they have, they can imagine themselves that, that like their brain is like this field of tall grass. Right. And anything they do, any thought they have, the more they, they do the same thing, the more they think the same thing, that's shaping their brain. And so if you start from a young age to say, 
uh, to yourself, I'm worthless. Nobody loves me. And you go down that path of grass again and again and again. That will become a highway and you will have to live with that throughout your life until the day you become aware of it. For instance, through mindfulness practice, you start to see this pattern, I'm worthless. And you say, okay, is this benefiting me to have this thought constantly in my mind? And you go, probably not. So what can I replace it with? Maybe you can replace it with a thought that's saying, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm a human being. I'm okay as I am. And so we can do that. We can go in and reformat the way that our brains are wired. Neurologists have this saying that says, what fires together, wires together. So the more we fire one thoughts, the more that becomes a wire and it becomes a highway. And that when you are a teenager and young, it's a lot more plastic than when we're older. But that doesn't mean that it stops. We can still do it no matter if we're 80. You can still go in and change the way that you see things. Right. And everything in the book has a personal story or a personal imaginative story linked to it, which, as I mentioned before to you, was incredibly impactful. So you'd lay out the point and then hit it home with a personal story that everyone can relate to. So if anyone out there is wondering anything about aging, because we're not getting taught really about how to age well, your book is 100% top of the list. One last question for you then, Barit, is um, it may be a cliche question, which requires one answer. And if you were to go back to your younger self, knowing what you know now, um, back to a, a 10, 15 year old self, what would be one of the things that you would say to yourself and then what would be something that you would say to a stranger a cliche and i think actually what i would say myself to myself would be don't worry so much about what other people think because that's what you're so occupied with at that age when you're trying to find your identity so i think that would hit most at that point in my life uh, but if if i were to give myself a good recommendation it would be to to start practicing mindfulness from a younger age i think if if we were taught this in school, not only would we not see this huge amount of young people who are suffering depression and anxiety uh, that we see today, but we would also see a better world. And that's not really enhanced so much in, in, in the way we bring up children today. So I think it's coupled with the social media and all these you know, young people being bombarded with how they have to be perfect in any shape or form. Yeah. I think if they were able to, to meet this with an awareness that says it's okay to not be perfect, it's okay to be a little bit different, it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay to take a break, that would make a different world and it would make much happier people. That is very, very powerful. And from one of the takeaways I took from Mark Williams when I had him on the show was you don't need to necessarily teach the child if you practice it yourself without even lecturing the child. They will pick up something and change that way as well. So unless we're ready to do the work, we can't expect anyone else to do the work. Exactly, exactly. My family sometimes tells me when I, if they notice that I that I, I have a short fuse or I, I get angry with them too fast or too easily, they say, I think it's time you go down and meditate because they see the difference in me. Um, this may be off topic, so feel free to pass the question. Being from Netherlands, 
obviously, at least how I know it from uh, the UK, we have a very strict uh, drug law in the UK. In the Netherlands, is a lot more relaxed, um, for better or for worse. Coming into the psychedelic realm, we have multiple plant-based medicines like DMT, psilocybin, ayahuasca, these different um, traditional uses of these drugs or substances. They seem to be having the same sort of effect as mindfulness. A, a long-term practitioner of mindfulness. Do you have any sort of opinions on that or no research or anything in terms of it? I don't really know much about it, not, not, not research or from personal use, but I, I have been on, on Vipassana retreats uh, um, where I've had uh, other participants telling me that they have done it. And, and they say the same thing as you were saying, that they it's the same effect they gain from doing it. But other than that, I, I don't really know much about it. If, if someone hasn't done the foundational work for a mindfulness-based practice and they take a substance like this and they get the rewards from it, most likely it's not going to last long because they've not got anything to back it up with. Whereas I would imagine this is something Mark uh, said as well. If you have a good understanding of mindfulness and then take it, you might not get much, but whatever you build on will be a solid foundation. Whereas if you were to take it and you'd have no idea of what it is, but it's definitely interesting. So the only thing I, I, I could worry about is that mindfulness can bring up uh, old unknown traumas that you might not even know that you had uh, and if you do it in a in a slow way like you do with with mindfulness you can catch it so that you can help get help along the way and you can stop where i i don't know if you can do the same i guess it depends on how you do it with uh... with mindfulness that i'm starting to get into i don't know if it's the ants uh, the automatic negative thoughts that, that you spoke about in the book that are appearing in my mind when i'm doing these sort of things, the mindfulness practice, I feel like I'm very slow to become aware of what's bubbling deep inside. I, I guess it'd be from the subconscious. Would that only come with experience the more I get into this realm? Would I then become quicker at seeing the negative uh, ants? I think maybe you should stop striving for it. I think you should just allow it as it is, because the thing is that if you are, are sitting down to meditate in order to start to, I want to see what's deep inside of me. I want to get to know that has sort of the opposite. That's, that's the paradox of mindfulness. When you, when you have a goal, it tends to not happen so easily. But if you just allow things to develop as they are, there's recently been done some research, actually. They were asked in the beginning before they did like an MBSR course and what their goal was and the people who had a goal they tended to not reach it were the people who just just went in it with open mind to see what happens they kind of got the goal that the others had so i think that's that's the key element of of, of meditation and mindfulness and i guess that would only come you couldn't think logically about that that would only come from experience well, that's a powerful way to end this uh, thank you very much it's been a pleasure it really has Pleasure is all mine. Thank you.